You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Awesome. Have a seat. Take your outline out of your program. Man, isn't it good that God's love is just recklessly pursuing you? It, it doesn't mean it's without thought. What it means is he's absolutely intentional about pursuing wholeness with you. As we're looking at these different personality types, and as we're looking at the scriptures, we're watching God's story be a much bigger picture than just your story of yourself or your story of your life. What we're watching is God being in pursuit of moving people like you and me from being unhealthy to being complete, to being whole, to being healthy, even within our temperament, even within our personality and how God has naturally wired us, that his pursuit of us wants to fit within his big story and not make life all about you. And I would just want to say, welcome. If you're here today and you're brand new with us, it is not too late to jump in on a circle group during the week. If you have not jumped in on one yet, we'd love for you to be able to sign up with my friends uh, in the back. And I want you just to know that just right where you are, it's no accident that God is here, has you here today. He designed you, he knows you, and I believe God loves you. God thinks you're gifted and you're beautiful, and God loves you and me in spite of our brokenness. He wants to take where we're broken and move us through the rest of our life toward completeness, toward wholeness. It's what the Bible calls holiness. It's this idea of completion. It's this idea of whole. It's not this idea of like you have to perform Perfectly, he wants to move us from being unhealthy toward healthy. Now, how many of you were here earlier this year, maybe January, and we started a series called By Faith, and we looked at Hebrews chapter 11. You were here. How many of you were here at that time? A lot of us, right? And we looked at Hebrews chapter 11, and we looked at these people who were Old Testament characters who are now applauded in Hebrews in the New Testament for being people of faith, that their faith was commended to them as righteousness, that God moved them from being potentially fearful people to doing great things by faith. And we came across this verse in Hebrews 11. I want to refresh your memory for you. It's this, 11, 32 through 34. It says this, and what more shall I say? I do not have what? Help me out here. I do not have what? Time. So the Hebrews 11 author is saying, I don't got time. I don't got time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David, Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. The Hebrews 11 author didn't have time to get to those other people. Well, today I'm here to tell you that I have time. I have time today to get to one of those characters that we're going to look at, a loyalist, a guy who was completely loyal to his country of Israel, and one of these guys who, in his natural temperament, clung to safety. He clung. If he was insecure, he would cling to that. But we watch this man grow in faith to conquer his naturally fearful inclinations. And that man is Gideon, who's listed in Hebrews chapter 11. And if you have your Bible, flip with me to Judges chapter 6. Again, the story of you only makes sense within the big story of God. And here's why you need this sermon. Here's why you need this sermon today. Some of you, you want to live by faith, but you only know how to live by fear. You don't know the other way. 
You don't know that there's something greater. You only know how to live by fear. You're afraid for your life. You're afraid for your kids. You're afraid for your future. You have horror stories from your past that make looking ahead at the future legitimately scary. And you know in your head that God is often with us, but you're not convinced that God is always with you. You know up here God's around. He's maybe doing things, but you're not convinced that God is always with you. You've seen enough darkness in the world and darkness in your own life to make you, be, make you ask the question, God, are you really with me all the time? And can I trust you? In Judges chapter 6, there's a guy named Gideon. And this is the story of that time. Let me just, before we jump into those scriptures, let me just preface. Israel at this time, this is before the time of kings. There were no kings yet in Israel. And what happened was Israel was led by God. Israel was led by God. It's called a theophany. And Israel was led by God. And every now and then when trouble would arise, he would raise up out of Israel a judge who would represent for him and would rescue the people through the leadership of this judge from whatever was afflicting them. And so this is the time of the judges. And so in the book of Judges, chapter 6, beginning with verse 1, it says this. And the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts and caves and strongholds. And whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, the Malachites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped in the land, they ruined the crops all the way to Gaza, and they didn't spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor any donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts, and it was impossible with their lives like swarms of locusts, it was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. And Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. See, they're supposed to obey God. And this is one of those times in history where you would look and just say, you have this idea, like if we obey God, then his hand of blessing and his protection is on us. But if we don't, that hand could go away, that blessing, that protection could go away. And this is what was happening because God is pursuing the heart of the people. They need a need for him. They need to turn to him. And what happens is oftentimes in a New Testament context, we misinterpret God's presence. In the Old Testament, God's presence would come and then it would go and his protection would be there. And maybe it wouldn't because the people were obeying. It was contingent on them. In the New Testament, God is with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. God is with you. But you read an Old Testament account like this, you think, maybe God's left me. Maybe God has given up on me. It goes on, it says this. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians. I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord, your God. Do not worship the God of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. So God calls them on their sin. And now we pick up God's deliverance. In verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon. He said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Let me just pause here for a minute. 
you got to understand the humor of this moment. That because Midian's been so oppressive, Gideon, this man, is trying to separate the wheat grains from the chaff of the wheat stalk, and he's trying to do it in secret. Now, where do you normally go when you want to separate the grains from the chaff? You throw it up in the air, the wind carries away the chaff, you have all the seed, all the grain that you can make bread with, that you can plant with, you have all that. Where do you normally do that? Where would you do that? Some of you are like a hilltop, right, a threshing floor. They would often make threshing floors on the hilltop where the breeze would happen. Because if you're just throwing it up in the air, it might not really carry this stuff away. You want all the bad stuff carried away. You want to separate it out. And so normally you're on a hilltop where you're visible. But what is Gideon doing? Gideon is down in the valley. He's in the wine press, the place that you stomp the grapes. You don't want stomping the grapes up on top of the hill. You got to carry all the grapes up the hill. You don't want it up there. You want it down in the valley where you can process the wine. You can press the grapes. You can stomp them. In fact, if you've gone with us to Israel, you've even seen underground caves where they actually have very developed wine presses underground because at certain times in history, that's where they would go to do their work because they were oppressed. They wanted to do it in secret. You almost have cities in places underground. It's amazing to be able to see that. Now, Gideon is not underground. He's just not on top of the hill. He's down in the wine press and he's stomping. He's not stomping the the grain. He's throwing it up in the air and hoping enough breezes around to carry it away because he wants to do it in secret. He wants to not have his work stolen from him and he's there. And so this angel of the Lord appears to him and says to him, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Gideon says, pardon me, my Lord. By the way, manners matter. Good job. Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? It's a legitimate question, right? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us over to the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Now I want to help you understand this picture for a minute. So the angel of the Lord comes down, but I want you to look at your Bible. Is the word Lord capitalized? Is it all capitals? It's all capitals. It is. This is the Lord that he is talking to. Not just simply a messenger of the Lord, but the Lord. This is many contexts known as the pre-incarnate Christ. What was the second member of the Godhead doing before Jesus became flesh? You're looking at one of the illustrations right here that he's seeing right now, right here, that this is Jesus in a sense, pre-incarnate Jesus coming before and talking to him. And he is launching him out. He's saying, go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? This is the Lord. Oh, Gideon says, pardon me, my Lord. Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. And Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please don't go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. And I'm just going to fast forward this a little bit. So basically he goes and he grabs some flatbread. He gets some goat meat. He prepares it. He puts some broth nearby. He brings it back. He puts this before the Lord. And the Lord basically just says, uh, pour the broth out. So he does that. He puts the flatbread and the meat on, the, on a rock. 
and the angel of the Lord touches it with his staff. It ignites into fire and it's consumed. And that's what happens right there. Flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread and the angel of the Lord disappeared. Verse 22, when Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. See, the going idea at that time was that if you saw God face to face, you're done. You're dead. They thought if you saw God face to face, that was it. And he realizes all of a sudden, it's not just merely an angel, but who am I talking to? I'm talking to the Lord and who is sending me? It is the Lord God. And he says the first thing that comes to his mind, he's like, I'm going to die. And God says to him, peace, do not be afraid. You're not going to die. Write this down. The loyalist reflects God's faithfulness. You ever had a friend leave when things got hard? Let's be honest. Some of you have left another church for some pretty petty reasons in your past. And we watch people walk away from this or that. Some of you in this room, you've sabotaged a relationship out of fear that they were going to abandon you. So you just abandoned them first. Some of you left a sporting event where your team was losing and you got frustrated and you left the sporting event and then you got home and realized you missed the greatest comeback of all time. Why? Because Americans are terrible at being faithful to faithfulness. We take the issue of faithfulness. Americans are terrible at it. We give up, we bail, we bounce, we throw in the towel. We are so unfaithful to this issue of faithfulness, yet we expect everyone else to be faithful to us. No one to ever reject us. We want people to be loyal to us like we're, we think we're loyal to them. And oftentimes Americans, we're just bad at being faithful to faithfulness. I mean, how does that make you feel when someone just gives up? You begin to wonder that maybe God will give up, this person gave up on me, maybe God's gonna give up on me too. And Gideon is faithful to Israel, but he questions if God is still with them, right? He uses the questions, he says this, why is all this bad stuff happen? Where are the signs from the past? When is it gonna happen? How is this gonna happen? Because I'm the least in my tribe and I'm the least in my own family. Like I'm the lowest of the low. And if you know anything about God, he loves taking those who are fearful or powerless and displaying his power through them. But he begins to ask legitimate questions. And what you need to realize is this, that in the Old Testament, well, in the Bible, names have meaning. Nowadays, we just pick names because we think they sound nice. But in the Bible, the names there have meanings. And there are different meanings for different names, and they often describe character or attributes. And so Gideon's name is Feller. Doesn't mean like, hey, hey, little feller. What it means is like someone who chops down a tree or someone who chops down armies. He's supposed to be this quote-unquote mighty warrior, this feller who fells the armies ahead of him. And what is he doing? This little feller is hiding in a wine press and he's, he's threshing his grain. And so the angel shows up where the person afraid is afraid and he calls him mighty warrior. And he shows up, but he's got, this mighty warrior has got a lot of questions about God. He's got a lot of questions about God's faithfulness. And what he doesn't realize is one of God's names is faithful and true. That describes God's character. 
It describes God's love for you, his reckless love. In Revelation, the last book of the Bible, it says this, Revelation 19.11, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called what? Faithful. Help me out here. Rider is called faithful and true. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire. On his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself, and he is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean, and coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. It's quoting the Old Testament, Isaiah. He goes, on it says he treads the fury of the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty that's one of the greatest by the way verses I think in all of scripture right listen to that he treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty he's not making wine he is treading the fury of God Almighty he's crushing it down he is the king of kings lord of lords it says this on his robe and on his thigh he has written this name king of kings and lord of lords Jesus. Some of you are having a little conflict on the inside right now because you're picturing white Norwegian Jesus with blue eyes and a white robe and a, and a powder blue sash and speaking in an English accent so he sounds very intelligent. And you're thinking, that's gentle Jesus holding a little lamb. And this is describing Jesus as being faithful and true, one who is a feller, one who is a mighty warrior. And there's this little conflict going on in your mind. And what you need to realize about God is not only does he have faith in you, but God is faithful and it's one of his names. He himself is faithful. Well, here is Gideon, face to face with the Lord. And he truly wants the best for his nation, but he's frustrated with the current state of things. Why? Because the loyalist reflects God's faithfulness. That's a beautiful thing about you if you're a six, if you're a loyalist. A beautiful thing. Write this down. The loyalist wants to be safe and avoid risk. Do not be afraid, God told Gideon. You are not going to die. And if you're a six, you have probably heard this from your family members and friends your whole life. You're not going to die. It's okay, live a little, risk it, you're not gonna die. And they're the same people who in your life say, what could go wrong? It's a bad way to start off any event by, with that statement right there, by the way. But the loyalist naturally thinks of safety first and they wanna avoid risks as often as possible. So a year ago, when we were on sabbatical, we took a family vacation and we went to the big island of Hawaii. And having been there before, we decided to hike out to this beach that Heather and I had been to uh, a number of years before. And we get the boys in the car and we get all of our gear together and I'm looking forward to bodyboarding at that beach. And the waves weren't that great that day, but I still wanted to get in the water and just enjoy it. And so we get all our gear together, we park in the parking lot, we hike out about two miles to this beautiful beach and we get there, and as we're topping the rise to look down at the beach, Heather sees it, and she says, there are rocks in the water. And I say, I know. I remember them from last time. I'm going bodyboarding. And she looks, and she says, it's the ocean. There are sharks. There's no lifeguard here. And there are big rocks in the water, and I can't drag you back out to the car, to the hospital room, after all this hike that we've done. I can't carry you if you get hurt. Now, inside of me, I'm going, you know, 
Lord, you've given me the Holy Spirit, uh, but right now, Holy Spirit number two, she is speaking, and she's very powerful. She's not well-known, but she's very powerful, and, and I'm not liking what she's saying, right? So, so the three in me is I'm the achiever. I'm like, we have got to finish the plan. I've been dreaming about this. I've been thinking about this, so my comeback to her is all you know, going on inside, but then my comeback out loud to her is, um, listen, I'm going bodyboarding. We did not load all this stuff out. I had to stop. Correction. The boys did not carry all this stuff out here for us to not get in the water and to go bodyboarding. I'm going bodyboarding. And, and at this point, I'm like, and I will not hit the rocks. Why? Because I'm a three. I'm an achiever. If I hit a rock, you know what that feels like to an achiever? Losing. It means she's right and I'm wrong. So there is no way, I guarantee you, I will not hit a rock in the water. However, you're going to learn in a couple weeks that there's also a little bit of challenger in me. And the challenger in me, the eight, is basically going to say this, but I am going to go very close to the rocks just to panic your paranoia, right? I'm going to get a little bit close. I'm going to get near it just to make you freak out a little bit because you're overreacting to this situation. And, you know, this is like the, just, hey, just us being real, right? Do, do you want to see the, the beach and the rocks in the water? I'm going to show you the beach. Yeah, do you see the sharks in the water? Yeah, me neither. Do you see those big rocks? Not really. What about massive, huge, nope, not big waves. Now, I'm poking fun at Heather because she has good reason over 25 years of marriage to know that sometimes I get injured. And a couple weeks ago, <laughs> the young adults have a soccer team. They're playing here at the, just the local parks, and uh, they finished their game. The next team showed up, but the team that they were supposed to play forfeited, so they had no one to play. They showed up. They're all dressed, ready to go, no one to play. So they said, hey, how about you guys, like, would you, let's play together. Like, grab some people. And the young adults come up to me, the 20-year-olds, and they say, Dave, come play soccer with us. We know you've played for years and come play soccer with us. I'm thinking, what could go wrong, right? And Heather is thinking to herself, but she as a wise, godly woman is at this moment not saying anything. I'm thinking, well, we're, we're going on vacation tomorrow. Nothing would happen. I'll just, I'll play real easy and I'll just kind of cherry pick and, you know. So anyway, I go out there, do a couple plays. I beat this defender. I'm all by myself. I make this nice left-hand cross to the people who are going to head it into the goal. And as I follow through with my left leg, I hear something snap in the back of my leg. I crumple. I can't put weight on it. You don't know it, but I've been in a knee brace the last two weeks. Letting the swelling go down figure out what's going on, what's wrong, right? So I can't put weight on it. They help me off the field. Heather's gone over to grab something from the car she doesn't know, right? So I have to call her. Hey, honey, <clears throat> I'm injured, right? And of course, I'm just waiting for it. Like, I knew I should have said something, you know, whatever. Like, well, at least I wasn't going to die. I just hurt my knee, right? That's all that happened. I wasn't going to die. I just hurt my knee. But sixes, they want to be safe. They want to avoid risk. And they have good reasons sometimes. Number three, being sure I made the right decision is almost impossible. For the loyalist, being sure you made the right decision is almost always impossible. How do we know this? Look at Judges chapter 6, verse 36. Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, I'll place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. And if there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will what? Then I'll know that you will save Israel by my hand as you've said. And that's what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. You think, then he knows. Great, let's go, right? 
nope, not to the loyalists. They're not sure they made the right decision still. So he goes back to God. He says, Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow one more test with the fleece, but this time make the fleece dry and the ground be covered with dew. And that night God did so. Only the fleece was dry. The ground was covered with dew. What I love about God is he does not condemn the loyalist for being who they are that he works with them. He is in the process of moving the loyalist from fear to faith. And I want you to know that God is not angry with you. He is patient with you, and he's walking you on a process of growth. So what happened? Gideon rallies the troops. He gets together 32,000 fighting men. Now, this is still daunting because they're going to go fight over 125,000 Midianites. And so they get together 32,000, and God comes to Gideon and says, Gideon, you have too many. And if you fight them and win, you'll think we did it because we're powerful. You got too many men. And so he said, send home the ones who were afraid. So Gideon comes back and he's already a little afraid. And Gideon comes back and goes, hey, if any of you are scared, go home. 22,000 scared guys leave. They leave. Like, I'm out of here, man. I'm not fighting all them. And then God, so he's got 10,000. God says, you still have too many. God walks him through a period of testing that you can read about in Judges in the following chapters right here and whittles that number down to 300 men. And God says, with 300 men, I will defeat the thousands and thousands of Midianites who've been attacking and oppressing you. And if you're a part of a circle group, you're going to go deeper into what that looks like this week. You're going to look and see how did God, through Gideon, rescue Israel from the Midianites. And after that point in time, they rout the Midianites, and after that point in time, Israel enjoys 40 years of peace under God's leadership because of Gideon. Isn't that a beautiful thing? That God works this out. God does what he said he would do, even when Gideon tests him. And I want to talk about what it looks like when a loyalist is healthy. When healthy, loyalists are able to determine character in people they encounter. They're able to determine character in people they encounter. Listen, learn from my wounds. Learn from my wounds. I can see people and think, man, that's just going to be the best of the best you know, person. And, and there are times that even Heather or other loyalists on my staff said, I don't know, there's something about that person. And I'm like, no, this new hire is going to be great. They're going to be great. They've got this situation going on. And a couple years ago, we did that. And, and some loyalists came to me and just said, I, I don't know. And I'm like, no, they're going to be fine. They'll be great. Within a year, that person had a moral failure. Learn from my wounds. Loyalists, you're right. You're often able to determine character in people that they encounter. Second, loyalists are reliable, trustworthy, compassionate, and good planners. What does Gideon do? He carries out the really good plan of the Lord to defeat the Midianites, even if soldiers wouldn't understand, like, this is a new form of fighting. I don't get what we're doing here. You watch God succeed. And you'll look deeper into that this week. Third, the loyalist desires to see the world as a safer place. And wouldn't that be great that the world be a safer place? We have so much of the danger. We have so much of the threat. We have so much of fear. We live in a culture of fear. We live in a culture that makes you afraid of even anything that can kill you in fear. And, and it would be nice if the world is a safer place. But I want you to understand that God sometimes teaches you and me that the safe heavenly world is not this world, it's the next. And in this life, 
in the midst of dangers or non-safety, he wants you and I to trust that he is with us always, even when bad things happen. He is with you. Do not be afraid. He is with you. What happens is sometimes under fear, we become unhealthy. And when unhealthy sixes or loyalists, they see only potential risk and danger, right? If you're raising a little kid and they're a six, they're afraid a lot. When you drive, they're afraid a lot about a lot of things. They hear about things and they plan. So what happens is if you're like raising a six, maybe they're five years old, they probably have an earthquake readiness kit under their bed. They probably also know how to escape every room in the house in the event of a fire. You probably don't. They do. They would tell you what to do because they thought about these things. They, they see potential risk and danger. And people tell them all the time, relax, live a little, you know, live. And loyalists usually think this, I relax by staying alive. I relax by staying alive. Like if nothing happens, then I can, wow, that situation wasn't as bad as I thought. I'm relieved. That's how they live. And that's not always the best place to live if you're unhealthy, right? Second, life is dictated by fear and anxiety. Six is, listen, your life can be overcome and overwhelmed and run by fear and anxiety. Many of you sixes are shut-ins and you go nowhere. And one of the biggest objections a lot of times to a person who by default is just thinks of safety, if they think about going on a mission trip, God may be calling you to go and you say no. And the reason is because the biggest objection you have is you have to leave this country. And you perceive that it's safe here and less safe out there. And so you're, you're saying no to God because you're just afraid to even leave what you perceive to be the comforts of your own land. And let me tell you something. Oftentimes it's not the six because maybe you've just not even looked in to go on a mission trip. But maybe you're a six and you're a parent. And maybe God has called your son or your daughter to go. And you're the one saying no. No. You're researching, you're finding out all the dangers of what could happen to get kidnapped and killed in the cartel. If you go south of the border and you're like, I'm not going on that Mexico mission trip because bad things could happen. And you've got all the data and you've researched it and you're afraid. But let me tell you something, parents. It is far more fearful for God to have said, listen, I am entrusting to you my children, to you, to be their guardians for a little while and it's a far scarier place for you to be like, I'm the one resisting my kid following the call of God. Because God's entrusted them to us. And yes, we want to work and keep them safe. But how many of us, you've been two feet away and they still fall down. You couldn't save them. This world isn't a safe place, it's true. But there's a God who will always be with them even if they cross the border. He's gone ahead of them. He's behind them. He's gone before them. And the same God that's working here in your life is the same God already working over there in the lives of people that we're ministering to across the world. We don't bring God with us. God is there and we get on board with what he's already doing there. That's how missions works. Third, if you're an unhealthy six, you don't trust people causing you to avoid new experiences and sabotage relationships. When you're unhealthy, you begin to believe that everyone is unsafe. So you're going to cut the relationship off before they cut you out, right? And you become your own self-fulfilling prophet. See, they were going to reject me anyway. No, they rejected you because you cut them off. 
you got afraid. You sabotage the relationship and you begin to say, no one is safe. Well, if you're a loyalist, we need to understand where's the turning point. What do we need to begin to work on? If you're a loyalist, you already know what your core fear is. We've been talking about it all morning. It's fear. Your core sin is fear. Fear can drive you to do crazy things, and fear can drive you away from God. But God, in his great love and patience, like he showed Gideon, is going to demonstrate his power in your weakness. Gideon's saying, I'm the least. I'm the least of my family. I'm the least of my tribe. I am the last person you want. And the joke of my entire life is my name is Feller. It's Mighty Warrior. And I'm going to be this great thing, and I'm not. And God is like, you have no idea. If you know anything about who God chooses in the Bible, he chooses the least likely people, whether it's David the shepherd, Gideon the feller, or whether it's disciples like you and me who say, oh, all we're going to do is fish, fish. And God goes, no, I have something far greater for you than simply making a living. I've got a big adventure, and I want you on it because your story only makes sense within my big story. Well, how do we move away from fear and turn toward faith? Listen, loyalist, the healthy loyalist is always in pursuit of courage and trusting God, trusting yourself, and eventually others. So the healthy loyalist is always in pursuit of courage. Always, every day, they got to ask, how am I going to be courageous today? How am I going to be courageous in my marriage? How am I going to have courage at work? How am I going to have courage in my relationship with God? How am I going to have courage with my kids? How am I going to have courage with myself? You're always, always, always in pursuit of courage. You're learning in an ongoing way to trust God more and more, to trust yourself more, and eventually to trust others. Listen, God will get you there. As you pursue him, what did Gideon keep doing? He kept coming back to God. God, I'm afraid again. God, I need to know again. God, I got to have some reassurance here. Help me understand. And God does every time. If you're a six, you've got to take heart. Pursue courage in the face of real and perceived dangers. And courage takes work. It takes work. You're not going to get there overnight. You're going to face fear. We have a choice. I'm either going to be courageous or I'm going to choose to be afraid. And God is calling you and I to not be afraid that he will be with you. <clears throat> Write this down. How do you need to be real with God? Acknowledge God's faithfulness and loyalty to you. Everlasting security is him, not in yourself or in people. God is the one with whom you're most secure. And I know this is an unfair, uh, well, it's a hard thing to say. Loyalists, listen to me. People will never be loyal to you in the way that you are to them. And that's just sad. That people will not be loyal to you in the way that you are to them, but God will. In fact, his faithfulness to you outshines your faithfulness to other people. And you're not alone. You think, well, maybe it's just me. No, it's not just you. Look with me at Judges 8.35. They also failed to show any loyalty to the family of Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, by the way, Jerubbaal means that he knocked down Baal. He knocked down his father's idols, and so he felled them. And so that's why they give the nickname, the one who knocks Baal down, the false god, right? But Gideon, so they failed to show any loyalty to the family of Gideon in spite of the good things he had done for them. Listen, people will not be loyal to you in the same way that you're loyal to them. 
One of the hardest things over the year is talking to people in our church because they get discouraged if somebody leaves the church. And time and again, I have to tell myself or tell staff people or whatever, right, that God did not call us to chase after them. I mean, if they walk away completely from God, then you go after the one, the 99. God's reckless love does that. But if they just go somewhere else, that God has not called us to chase him. He's called us to follow him. He's called us to be his. Listen to me. Focus on God. Stay with God. Sometimes you will have family members who walk away from God. They will not be loyal to him. Some of your friends will fall away from God. You'll have spouses or children that will fall away and not follow God. But you... You must follow God despite what the world does because he alone is your refuge. He alone is your refuge. He's your place of safety. He is my God and I trust him. We live in a world that's loyal to no one but themselves. Isn't that true? They just want to be loyal to themselves. But if you're a six, we need you. We love you. I praise God for you. We need people that are loyal, that stick with it and stay. Don't ever give up on that internal gift that God has given you. It's a beautiful thing. One of the things I love about my wife is that she stayed with me for all these 25 years. Right? Despite my challenging or despite my, you know, my uh, achieving, she has stayed faithful She's been beautiful in that way. And listen, if you're a six, people are going to recognize your loyalty, whether they acknowledge it publicly or not. And deep within their hearts, they're going to wish they were a whole lot more like you. Like you. Well, how do I love a loyalist? Here's some ways. Number one, be secure and consistent. Tell them the truth. Don't flip-flop with the loyalist. They already have enough trouble trusting. Be honest. If you're a kid, you need to be honest with your parent who's a six. Even if it feels like they're you know, over-mothering you or they have a lot of fears in their lives. You need to be honest with them. If you're a spouse and you're married to a six, you need to be honest with them because they struggle with trusting other people, right? So be honest with them. Second, thank them for their loyalty to you. Acknowledge it. Thank them. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you just for a minute. If you have been a part of Sun Grove Church, by the way, this fall, we're coming up on 30 years. Will you give it up for that, for God's work in this place, 30 years? If you've been a part of Sun Grove Church for 20 of those 30 years, will you please stand? And will you stay standing? Will you give it up for these people who are staying standing? Do not sit back down. Stay up. Awesome. All right. If you've been a part of Sun Grove Church, by the way, thank you for your stay standing. Thank you for your loyalty. But if you've been a part of Sun Grove Church since our mobile days, we were mobile at Laguna Creek High School, at Franklin High School. If you're a part of our mobile days, will you stand? Please stand up at this point in time. Will you thank God for their loyalty? That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. If you've been a part of Sun Grove Church here in the last six years, will you stand and join join the rest of the people who are here? Will you stand up? I just want to praise God for you. Thank you. Everybody, you can stand up. You might be brand new here. How come you guys aren't standing? Rick, you've been here a long time. Stand up. Right? My point is this. You might have only been coming here a month. You can sit down. You can sit down. Thank God for your loyalty. You might have only been coming here for a month for this series, but let me tell you something. God's got a story in your life and he wants that story to involve a faithful pursuit of him because he is faithful to you. And I believe that the next 10 years, I literally believe the next decade in the life of this church is gonna be unbelievable. I believe God is laying the groundwork and has in the last 10 years for the foundation of what he wants to do in the next 10 years ahead. Thank you for your loyalty. Thank you for sticking it out. We love you. We need you sixes. You're awesome. Number three, if you uh, are going to love somebody in your life who is a loyalist, encourage them to be courageous. 
when God gives them opportunity to be courageous, nudge them. Nudge them to follow through on it. Honest, Gideon, do the fleece. Like, go for it. If that's what you feel like you got to do, like, if, whatever it takes for you to pursue courage, do that. Nudge them. Next, fiercely support them when they are right. See, we live in a world that has a hard time standing up for what's right, but sixes see it. Sixes see it. But they're sometimes afraid to trust themselves or their own judgment. And when it plays out and they were right, then you need to fiercely stand up for them and support them. They saw it. They saw it coming. They were right. Because why? It helps them trust themselves. It helps them understand that I can trust my own judgment. Support them when they get it right. And number five, lovingly correct them when they are paranoid. Because they're going to be paranoid. It's going to happen. But you correct them. Listen, not everyone is unsafe. Patiently help them grow in trusting that not everybody in the world is unsafe. There are good people. God is loyal. God is faithful. And there are people who still follow God just like you do. And God's name is faithful. And he is here with you. Listen, six is if you, this is you. This is maybe a prayer you have to think about. Something like this. Just like you're going to be saying, God, help me to be faithful to you. Help me to trust you. Even when people who speak for you are untrustworthy. Even when godly people do ungodly things and trusted people bail, God, we still trust you. Help me to take courage every day. Help me to rest in your power and to trust your goodness. You're always going to be in pursuit of courage. But listen to me. Life is cruel. The world is not a good place. But just because life is cruel and the world is cruel, you need to realize that God is loving and kind and faithful to the end. He doesn't give up along the way to the end. So don't you dare confuse God with the evil in the world. They are not the same thing. Don't confuse them. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, maybe today you're realizing for the first time that You've been afraid. You've been afraid to cross that line of faith. You've been afraid to ask God to forgive you of your sin. You've been afraid that maybe God won't be with you, but maybe today he has revealed to you that beyond your fears, he loves you, he sees you for just how special he's created you, and he wants you in a relationship with him. And the only way that we get that is by receiving Jesus as our Lord. And the way that you do that, this is you, if you're feeling that in your heart right now, then you pray something right where you're seated in your heart. God will hear you. You just pray, Jesus, today I give you me. Thank you, God, for being faithful to die on the cross for my sin. Thank you for being powerful enough to be raised from the dead because you're God. And I ask you to wash me as white as snow. Forgive me of all my sin. Make me a new creation on the inside because today, Jesus, I give you me. And right now, if you prayed that prayer anywhere around the room, will you raise your hand? Right here in the front. Awesome, greatest decision you guys could ever make. Right here on the end. Anywhere else, just hold your hand up. I'll look around a bit and find you over here on the side. I see your hand there. Greatest decision you could ever make. You might be up in the loft. Maybe you raise a hand and yep, one of my friends sees you up there in the loft. That's awesome. God, we're so grateful. I see this hand over here. Father, we come before you and we praise you for those who would come to new life in you. I pray, God, for every person who raises a hand 
that God, they would just simply fill out that card in the seat back in front of them and let us know they made a decision. Give it to one of my friends at the back. We wanna give them a Bible. We wanna help them with next steps because growing in you is growing in a relationship with you and we wanna help them do that. But God, at the same time, I know that there are friends here like myself who have prayed to receive you and yet we still get afraid. So God, right now, that thing that's in our heart, that fear that's been holding us back, whatever it is, God, we right now are gonna lay that down before you, before the cross, and we're gonna choose to lay down fear and we're gonna choose faith. So believers in the room, will you just tell God right now, this is what I'm laying down, I'm gonna choose faith. God, we love you. We thank you today publicly for your faithfulness to us. God, you outshine us. You are true. You are faithful. It is trustworthy. You'll be with us forever. God, we love you. We praise you. All the more reason to worship you. We pray in Jesus' name. And together we said, amen. Hey, will you give it up for what God's doing and bringing new life to people all over this place? Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.